Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, it's happening. We've been talking about the Biden agenda in the theoretical for so long, it almost seemed like it might always remain just that theory. But of course, winning elections is about taking action, not simply theorizing. So with the Democrats firmly in control of Washington, here we go on the Biden plan. As we discussed a few weeks ago, President Biden has outlined a two-step process for 2021, rescue, then recovery. Well, last night we got the first look at what rescue looks like as the Ways and Means Committee released nine separate proposals, some tax, some non-tax, all designed to address the ongoing COVID crisis. What are the proposals and what happens next? Those are the questions we are going to tackle today. And we've got our Catching Up on Capitol Hill regulars, Jennifer Gray and Carol Coolish with us today to help do just that. So, Carol, let me start with you. We got these nine different proposals from the Ways and Means Committee last night. That's a lot. Help us out. Highlight what are some of the key pieces in that Ways and Means legislation. Yeah, there are nine subtitles that they're marking up. But keep in mind that Ways and Means has jurisdiction over a lot of things that extend beyond tax. So a lot of what's in those subtitles are non-tax things like unemployment compensation, for example. But since this podcast is supposed to be about tax, let me just highlight some of the provisions that are designed to be taxpayer favorable in the tax package. The two biggest ticket items are additional economic recovery rebates to individuals. These are the cash payments that are made using a credit mechanism through the tax code. Recovery rebates of up to $1,400 for singles. That's the biggest ticket item, one-time cash payments. Additional big ticket item is changes to the child tax credit for 2021, including advanceability and refundability. They also have some other provisions, extension and modification of the employee retention credit, extension and modification of the credits for paid sick and family leave, expansion of the earned income tax credit, expansion of the child independent tax credit. There are changes to premium tax credits. And there's also some miscellaneous provisions, tax treatment of targeted economic injury, disaster loan advances, and tax treatment of restaurant revitalization grants. That's just a quick run through of some of the taxpayer favorable things in the bill. So, Carol, some of those sound familiar, right? (laughs) We've seen a couple of these things as we've gone through a couple iterations of COVID legislation, right? So, remind me, the individual payments we've had, what, this is what, the third iteration of individual payments? Is that correct? That may be correct. It's trying to bring up the end of last year, they were talking about doing $2,000 per person, but they ended up enacting legislation in December that just went with 600 per person. That was what the Democratic controlled House and the Republican controlled Senate were able to agree to at that time. So this is just taking them up to the 2000 by saying an additional 1400. But you're right. This is another round of these recovery rebates going out. Got it. And then let's see, we also had obviously the employee retention credit has been with us on and off throughout the last year as well. And this is just another extension of that. Yes. And there's some modifications to that as well. And then there's a lot of other things we haven't seen. Do you think it's fair to say that the reason we're now seeing some other things in is because in this case, this is the first Democratic only COVID bill. Do you think it's a fair way to look at it? 
Yeah, and some of the stuff I think is drawn from their HEROES Act, which was what the Democratic Control House had passed in the prior Congress, but they hadn't been able to move forward in a Republican-controlled Senate. So this does reflect the Democratic priorities. It also reflects some of the things that Biden had outlined in the fact sheet they had released on high level what should be in a rescue plan. So, I mean, that's one way to think about this is this is our first really good look at what a Democratic only series of priorities would be, of course, probably with input from the Biden White House. It's also got to get through the Senate more on that in a minute. But it is an interesting way to think about it is maybe a slight change in direction with some of these proposals. All right, Jennifer, now back to you. Carol outlined a lot of things that are taxpayer friendly. Are they all taxpayer friendly or are there some potential what we call pay fors included anywhere in here? Well, there are actually two major provisions that raise income, i.e. raise taxes. One of them is actually taxpayer friendly, and that's one that allows single employer pension plans to basically extend amortization to some of their funding shortfalls. So yeah, it's taxpayer friendly because there'd be less deductions companies would be taking because they would be putting less money into their pensions. But I think the big one, it's $22 billion, is the repeal finally of Section 864, which is worldwide interest allocation which is taking away a tax benefit that taxpayers never actually received. As you'll recall, it was first enacted in the Jobs Act and was supposed to go in place in 2009. And since then, it's been delayed, I count, three more times until it was finally supposed to go into effect this year in 2021. And so this repeals it altogether so the companies never actually get to use those new rules for allocating their interest expense on a worldwide basis for their affiliated groups. Ah, the saga of 864F. I mean, what an unusual, odd provision. You know, we've worked on the Hill. We feel like we've kind of seen it all. But I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like 864F, which, as you mentioned, was enacted way back when and never really took effect. Although I'd like to correct you on one thing. You know, you said taxpayers never got the benefit of it. Not true. They've gotten the benefit of it for five weeks in 2021. So, look, it hasn't been repealed yet. This still has to become law. But if it is repealed, then that would be, I guess, the end of 864F. And as I understand it, the election is actually made on your tax return filed for 2021. So as a practical matter, I don't think anybody has benefited from it. So you're actually right, Jennifer. Let me ask you a question, though. We've seen it delayed for a number of years to raise revenue. In this bill, we're just straight up repealing it. Why didn't they just delay it for another 10 years and get the same amount of money? Remember, we have a 10-year congressional budget window instead of a full repeal. Well, I think this comes back to the reconciliation process, which, as we've discussed at length, is the process through which this bill will be moving. And one of the requirements in the Senate for a bill to move through reconciliation, which, of course, allows the bill to pass the Senate with only 51 votes, is that you cannot have a increase to the deficit beyond the 10-year window. So in this case, it would be four years, 2032 and on. And so basically, this builds in a tax increase for those out years to make sure that that deficit doesn't increase in those out years. But, you know, I find this fascinating. I mean, I have this great idea. I think we should take all the tax rates down to zero in a bill and then just delay that every year after that for all the other tax cuts we want to take and use as a pay for. I think that's a brilliant strategy that we've stumbled upon. Very creative accounting, Jennifer. I'm sure the congressional budget keepers will be anxious to hear your idea. Okay, <laughs> okay Carol, we talked about what's in it. Let's talk about something that's not in, at least so far, from what we've seen in these Ways and Means proposals. It's something that, oh boy, did we get a lot of emails about over the last week or so, and it relates to these NOL carryback provisions that were originally enacted in the CARES Act. So this week, there was a letter 
I think it was this week or late last week, a letter sent by congressional Democrats saying we should retroactively repeal that provision. I think I've got that right. So, Carol, what's the deal with this loss carryback provision that seems to be pretty controversial and is not yet in here and it may not end up in here, but it's certainly getting a lot of attention and we get a lot of calls and emails from our clients about this. It's a very complicated issue, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, so let me try to be pretty high level. But the letter that you're talking about, first of all, it relates to two things, net operating losses as well as the business loss limitation rules. And the business loss limitation rules are rules that apply to taxpayers other than C corporations. So those are relevant, for example, to pass-through entities. And basically, it's a very interesting letter. It was sent by 177 Senate Democrats and over 100 House Democrats. The Senate Democrats include two Senate Finance Committee members, Sherrod Brown and Elizabeth Warren, who is new to the Senate Finance Committee. It also interestingly includes Senator Klobuchar signed on to the letter as well. Of the 100 House Democrats, there are six Ways and Means Democrats who had signed on to the letter as well. And basically what the letter says it's asking for is for the relief bill that Congress is currently working on to include repeal of Again, certain changes to both the business loss limitation rules and the NOL rules that were included in last year's CARES Act. And CARES Act was one of the big COVID relief bills enacted in 2020. The letter is asserting that those changes worsen economic inequality by conferring over 80% of their benefits to, they say, just 43,000 taxpayers earning at least $1 million per year. Technically, the issue is pretty complicated. You have to understand the changes that were made to loss limitation rules and the NOL rules in the 2017 legislation that we call the TCJA, as well as in the CARES Act. And technically, the letter is asking for certain provisions to be in the current bill that were in last year's HEROES bill. That's the bill I mentioned earlier. That's the bill that House Democrats had passed, but they didn't move in last year's Republican-controlled Senate. And those provisions are, are a little bit more more complicated than just undoing the CARES Act provision. But I think what people really have been talking about is that some parts of these HEROES Act changes that they seem to be asking for now would be retroactive. And to the extent the proposal now would be to undo CARES Act changes to the business loss limitation and the NOL carryback rules retroactively, you have to keep in mind that some taxpayers already have used losses against income in reliance on the CARES Act rules. And in some cases, they've even received refunds already based on loss carrybacks. The HEROES bill also included making business loss limitation rules permanent. Right now, they're scheduled to sunset after 2025. That's something that there might be some interest in at some point, maybe if not in this bill, Democrats may be interested in looking at making those rules permanent in subsequent legislation. But that's the super big picture, John. But as I said, we are dealing with changes that were made in the TCJA that were then modified in the CARES Act. And then you layer on top of that, wanting to make the changes that were in the HEROES bill. So you have to look at the technical details of HEROES as well. Big picture, there's already been a letter written in response by quite a number of business associations writing to Senate Finance Committee Chair Wyden and Ranking Member Crapo opposing what was suggested in the congressional Democratic letters to Pelosi and Schumer. Well, it is complicated, and you know this, Carol, as do you, Jennifer. Until we knew that this Ways and Means legislation was going to come out yesterday, 
this was going to be our episode. We were going to do this week's episode on that letter, the whole hullabaloo over the lost carrybacks. So we may come back to this because we have so many clients interested in this particular thing and in the event that they may have received refunds, how should we handle that? So we'll come back to that. All right, well, let's now turn forward. Where do we go from here? So Jennifer, back to you. What happens now? We've got these nine different proposals sitting out there at the Ways and Means Committee. Where does it go from here? Well, all those committees are to report their recommendations for legislation to the House Budget Committee by the 16th of February. A similar process will be going on in the Senate. Again, if the committees decide there to mark up, they would give their information to the Senate Budget Committee by the 16th of February. Uh, so far, the Senate Finance Committee, which of course does tax issues in the Senate, has not scheduled a markup on tax legislation related to this bill. And then the two budget committees would put together their versions of the bill, and then those bills would go to the respective floors to be passed. And then, of course, if those legislations vary, the two houses would need to meet to hammer out an agreement on a final bill that they would then presumably pass and send to President Biden for a signature. Okay, so Ways and Means now goes to markup of this legislation. It could take a while. They would then report out this legislation where it would go perhaps be combined with other pieces from other committees to the full house where the full house would then vote it out. The Senate is now beginning the process of doing the same thing. Did, did I hear you say they it would or would not go through committee, we think, in the Senate? It's unclear at this point. It could be that the various committees just give their recommendations to the budget committee without an actual markup and vote in committee on the bill. At this point, we don't know for sure. So we never think of the Senate as moving <laughs> faster than the House. But in this case, I guess they could cut out a step whereby they wouldn't go through committee, just go to the floor, potentially deal with amendments there, and then pass its own legislation, which may or may not be the same as what the House did, right? Correct. Obviously, the process in the Senate, at least the floor process, will be much more interesting with amendments being in order. So uh, we would not be surprised to see Yet another very late night of amendment uh, votes. Recall that the similar process on the budget itself last week, the votes went till five o'clock in the morning. So we could see something similar perhaps when they actually vote on this bill. Well, I suspect all of our listeners were watching on C-SPAN. Uh, the Votorama that went on last week until the wee hours of the morning is entertaining as that is. Well, so I guess we've got some time for this to play out between the House and the Senate. And then even when that's passed, as you were saying, Jennifer, we move on to the process of recover, which is the second step, which will be probably lengthier and more complicated process and something else for us to talk about. I think I should also add that the goal, as we understand it, to have this bill on the president's desk is around mid-March. They are trying to head off some of the changes to unemployment benefits that happen around that time. Now, whether okay. we make that deadline or not, we don't know. But my understanding is that is the goal. So five to six weeks from now, we would expect to see, you know, if Democrats are able to meet that deadline, to have the president prepared to assign it, his first major legislative accomplishment, presumably into law. Got it. Okay, well, that's it for today. We are obviously at the very beginning of what could be a long process, perhaps years long. I don't know about you, but I believe these are momentous times in the field of tax policy. We had the $10 trillion TCJA enacted just a little more than three years ago, and the tax community is candidly still in the midst of understanding and implementing the sweeping changes ushered in by that law. And now here we are again, looking at the possibility of a major tax policy reset, both at home and abroad. And I'm not sure it's ever been harder to be a tax professional, given all this change. But I'm also not sure the opportunity to speak and to be useful 
to those outside of tax has ever been better. So, hey, we're all in this together. And to that end, I'd like to ask for your help, your help to make this podcast as good as it can be. We've created a special mailbox for your comments, things that you might consider or topics for episodes, criticisms, questions, really whatever. I encourage you to use this mailbox. If you are listening to this podcast from the KPMG page, you will find the link right alongside the episode listings. And if you are on Apple or Google, here is the email. It's us-taxcapitalpodcast at kpmg.com us-taxcapitalpodcast at kpmg.com. I encourage you to use it. And honestly, don't be afraid to give us candid feedback on what we can do better. So with that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.